Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your love, your presence. Holy Spirit, you do your job so well. So we need you in the hearing and we need you in the delivery. We need you in the manifestation and the reality. We need you in the walking out and the walking in. Teach us to be dependent upon you and you alone. Not our mind and not our emotions. But just you. We love you, Father. We can't thank you enough. We have no idea how lost we were. No matter how far we were, you came to each one of us, individually and personally, and reached out your hand, stretched out your hand, and you called us home. We owe you for forever for that. That you didn't leave us, you didn't forsake us. that though we cheated on you, you came to restore the marriage to your people. We owe you everything. Let boldness and courage rise in your church that you might live through them in such a way that glorifies only you. And you be pleased with yourself in us. We bless you, Father. We thank you, Jesus. We honor you, Holy Spirit. Place deep in our hearts the things that point to Messiah Jesus and cause our hearts to bow low, yielding and taking every thought captive so that our mind is free to operate in the mind of Christ. We love you. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, guys, thank you so much again. It's good having Zach and Jessica back with us. Such an honor. Appreciate y'all. Um, before we go any farther, can I get Jared and Hannah to come up? We're going to pray them in, guys. Um, they've decided to make covenant with the body and... and uh, Become members of the church. So everybody who's done that, if y'all just come forward and just lay hands on them so we can receive them in. They've been absolutely such a blessing um, to the body here. I mean, un, unquestionable, just the servant's heart that they have. It's absolutely amazing just to witness and see and going out of their way to bless and help others. And, and um, they feel like the Lord's called them here. And we just rejoice in that and love on them and bless them. So Father, we thank you for sending um, such great men and women to help um, the work of the gospel here. And we bless and honor uh, Jared and Hannah. Father, we just receive them in. And Lord, we just pray they're on a blessing over and that you would bless and keep them and make your face shine upon them and be gracious to them and lift up your countenance upon them and give them peace. That everything they touch would leave the residue of Jesus. And as they bless us, we bless them. Walking together in agreement and unity and the power of love, Father, we ask that the blessings of this house would rest upon them, Father, and that everything that uh, is, is of ours would be theirs. And Lord, we just honor them and thank you for this. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Love you guys. I don't know. I feel like there was something else I was supposed to do. I don't remember. Um, tell a joke. <laughs> Ariel wants a joke. I don't know. I don't know. Do I have a joke for you, Ariel? <laughs> okay, I've got one for you, all right? Okay, a Minneapolis couple decided to go to Florida to throw... Uh, out a particularly icy winter and get away from that. And they plan to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because of their hectic schedules, it was difficult for the couple to coordinate their travel plans. So the husband left Minnesota and flew to Florida on a Thursday while his wife planned to fly down the following day. The husband checked into the hotel room and there was a computer there and he decided to send an email to his lovely wife. But however, he accidentally left out one letter in her email address and sent the email without realizing in his error. Meanwhile, somewhere in Houston, a widow had just returned home from her husband's funeral, and he was a Baptist minister who was called home to glory following a heart attack. And so the widow decided to check her email, expecting condolences from family and friends. But after reading her first email, she screamed and fainted, and the widow's son rushed into the room, found her on the floor, screaming in front of the computer screen, and it read this, to my loving wife, I've just arrived today, I know you're surprised to hear me. I have, they have computers down here now, and you're allowed to send emails to your loved ones. Since I've arrived, I thought I would send you an email, and everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is, is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. It sure is hot down here. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We're going to have to get spiritual after that one. There you go, Ariel. How's that? Okay. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. See, that helps y'all pull down pedestalizing here. Okay, turn to Matthew chapter 4. There's a couple of things that um, are on my heart, and I've, I've been going through some things with the body, and uh, it's great seeing all of you. I know a lot of you have been gone and out and busy, and, and we appreciate you coming, and we love everybody here, and we just bless and honor you. Um, so just bear with me as I try to unload my heart because there's some things that I feel like are important for those of us who have been following Jesus for any length of time. Um, just curious, how many of you guys have been saved longer than 10 years? Anybody in here long, longer than 10 years? Okay, um, quite a few people. Um, in that time frame, you're gonna, those of you who have been saved a little bit longer are going to understand more of what I'm talking about okay, this morning. If you haven't been saved that length of time, then you really need to pay attention about what you're actually going to have to endure as you walk with the Lord. So that way when you get to certain seasons in your life that God takes you through, you're not as confused as what we were when we went through them. And, um, and so I want to help you with that. And there's, there's just things that I feel like we're, we're in right now, not only just as a nation, but as a church. And I feel like that's um, really important. So I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. And I want to talk about the 40 days between revealing and release. So when God begins to do something, what he does is he has to prepare us for the word he's given us. Okay, pause is there for a reason. We have to be prepared for the promise we've been given. The promise doesn't exist in power unless it's also existing within us in preparation. Okay? Are you following me? 
If you give somebody who has poor character a great promise, the promise is not only ruined, but it doesn't come to pass. Every word of God given to us is a promise. Every aspect of the nature of who Jesus is is given to us freely and wholly, but we have to be prepared to walk into the image and the nature of that, of that word. And so the preparatory period is often the period where most Christians get lost. It's the preparatory period where, where they quit. They don't understand what's going on. And when God's making them for the thing he promised them, they don't understand why they don't have what he said. And then they quit. But the problem is, is that the, the, the time frame in between the, 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 the revealing and the promise uh, personified is the time in which God is testing us and allowing us to be tested to see whether we're really in this for him or for what the promise can provide us. Because every promise given to you here, if it's only for your satisfaction, it is not eternal. You with me? And the word of the Lord endures forever. And so he's not going to take an eternal word and allow us to make it temporary so it doesn't live forever. When he gives us something eternal, he expects us to operate it through eternal means. You with me? How many of you guys have ever had God give you a promise? Something that maybe you haven't even seen yet. There's a reason why there's, there's a time frame there. Because he's preparing you for the word he gave you. Okay? I touched on this, I don't know, a little while back, just in brevity, that um, it is very crucial for Christians to understand their seasons. And I find in counseling, most Christians don't understand their seasons. They don't understand what season they're in. And that makes it really difficult to navigate where they're at. It's tough to try to grow fruit in winter. And you get frustrated spiritually trying to be something you're not supposed to be for the time frame in which God has you, has you placed. Does that make sense? But also, immaturity doesn't understand seasons well because what immaturity does is it blames itself for the growth process that God is doing. To enter into a new season, you have to lose something from the old every time. And we're not familiar with loss. And we're not comfortable with loss. So yet we pray we want to grow. But yet when God actually starts making us grow, we tell him by our actions and our belief that we don't want to grow. Because we don't want to lose what it takes to be able to gain what he's promised. How many, how many of you ladies in here like flowers? You know flowers are nothing more than a precursor to fruit. And you have to lose your flower to gain your fruit. Right? Sometimes God does something beautiful and then he takes it away. But we're so comfortable with it and we're so longing for it and we're so familiar with it that we, 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 we think that's the only beautiful thing in my life. Why are you destroying that? But in order to actually get where we want to go and, the, and have the promises that God actually gave us, we've got to lose the thing that he gave us in the first place. You, you with me? Every spring, what happens? Plants begin to put out flowers and it's beautiful. But the season has to change. And the flowers have to fall, don't they? Because if the flower doesn't fall, the fruit doesn't grow. Is God interested in beauty or is he interested in fruit? What do we favor more? Feeling beautiful, feeling holy and moral, or being something that people can actually eat from in our life, even when we don't feel so, so lovely? 
With me? What, are you with me? You're more beautiful in the spring than you are when you're bearing fruit. Okay? I just want to help you here. All right? Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. I just want to stop there for right, just, just kind of maybe a small applicable rabbit trail. Um, I, I, I run into so many people. I think we're so self-drunk that um, we miss what God is actually doing. We're so self-partial. I, I see people all the time I'm like, well, brother, I'm just led by the Spirit. I'm like, well, man, I'm, I'll pray for you. I'm so sorry. And they just look at me kind of funny. Because the Spirit will always drive you to a place where you're going to encounter an enemy. The Spirit will always drive you to a place that's very difficult and hard. The Spirit will drive you a place that's, to a place that's away from the glory. The Spirit will always drive you away from the party. He will drive you somewhere where you're not comfortable, where you're not um, used to operating. It takes a great deal of faith in, to walk in those seasons where the Spirit's leading you. You know, so when you say, well, the Spirit's leading me, what we mean by that in modern American culture is that, you know, I'm, I'm not controlled by anybody. I do what Holy Spirit tells me to do, and I submit to no one but the voices in my own head. That's what we mean. And that's super unhealthy. Because you know how many Christians I've seen have served God for 30, 40, 50 years, and they still don't have renewed minds? So how do you know which voice is his versus yours? Because if you make a God out of yourself, your voice starts sounding like a God. Yikes. How do you know it's not? You have somebody around you close enough to Jesus, multiple people around you close enough to Jesus to say, sorry, that's not the Lord. And if you don't have that accountability, then you are your own ceiling. You are your own threshold. You are your own uh, max capacity of growth, and you can never go beyond where you're at right now. What if we just came to church hungry instead of critical? You know, instead of, I don't agree with that. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe somebody has a different part of seeing things in, than the way you do. And maybe you can't grow because you're only open to you and nothing else. I don't know. It's just a thought. Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You see where God's taking him. So let me explain what's happening here in Matthew chapter 4. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus comes on the scene. Now, I know this is rhetorical, biblical stuff for you, and I, think, I, I know you think you know this verse, but I just want to set the stage again to help you in what you know about this verse. All right? We read this from a, from a society point here backwards, but we've got to understand what these people were actually witnessing. You have 6,000 years of a very difficult form of serving God. And a very deep longing in the heart of his people to see a different form of reality and service. They prayed for this moment, for the manifestation of the Messiah. You understand this? They waited for thousands of years. And in this point right here, they just come out of 400 years of prophetic silence. There was not a single word given from God for 400 years during the Maccabean period. There was no direction for the nation. There were no prophets rising. There was nothing. Everybody was just kind of like, what do we do? We just exist. We just exist and we, we suffer. And so in, in a sense, Israel had just come out of a major wilderness of the word of God for 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, the silence is broken by the word himself. Not spoken, but revealed. 
Think of the power of that moment. Jesus comes out of hiding and he comes on the scene and he says, I am he. Think of the weight of that moment. John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament. Kings in the Old Testament had to be anointed by prophets. And the prophet, the last prophet of the Old Testament was there to anoint the first king of the new covenant. And he said, behold, look, the Lamb of God has come. Can you imagine the hearts of those people going, oh my Lord, what is actually happening? We have endured so much waiting and the time is now. I mean, I, I can see there's people in the crowd just blown away. And then not only that, he gets in the waters and he's baptized. And Mark's gospel talks about the, the, uh, the sky opening in the same verbiage as when the veil of the temple was rent. In other words, there was an earthquake and it was a violent ripping. And what happens is he gets in that water and this earthquake happens and this voice comes out of the sky and this power comes down and don't tell me everybody didn't feel it. I mean, glory came down. And Jesus comes out of the water. The spirit comes down on him like a dove. Everybody's just jaw dropped watching this moment happen. This final act of, of the old being completely done away. And what's coming next? We don't know. But it's here. And the glory in that moment had to have kind of almost uh, uh, settled in the minds of the people that this is how it's going to be. Like this level of intensity and, 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 and emotion and, and, and power and, and shaking. It's, this, is, this is how the New Testament's all going to be. It's awesome. And then what, is ha what happens? Jesus leaves that entire power-filled moment where we would stop and build a church. And he's driven by the Spirit away from the popularity, away from the acceptance, away from the applause of people, away from all the things everybody he's saying we want you to be and he goes to be with the devil for a while tell me you don't think different than God you know what we call that first part of that story we call it revival and that's what we're praying for but you know what Jesus wants he wants revelation he wants to be revealed revival is when God shows up Revolution is when God's revealed. He overturns things. See, revival can come without, nothing being, without anything being changed in your life. Ask me how I know that. I was in Brownsville in the 90s, and I saw people just hammered under the glory. I mean, myself included, and most of those people are atheists today. I've learned one thing. Revival doesn't change people. A revelation of Jesus does. And a revival doesn't always produce a revelation of Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. How many of you guys want to be led by the Spirit in your life? Well, I mean, there's less hands now than there would have been if I hadn't, you know. But you understand what I'm saying. You are being led by the Spirit, which is why you're in difficult places. See, you think being in a difficult spot and having all this stuff being hard and, and, and not easy and everything is like something that you use your prayer life to get out of when Jesus is actually the one who brought you there. So how many times do we fight against God in his natural order of our life when we're thinking it's the devil that's doing the things that God is actually doing? And God gets blamed for a lot of stuff that, that, that the devil does, but then the devil gets blamed for a lot of stuff that actually God's doing. <laughs> you understand what I mean? 
You know, it's, if, if, if God takes you to a very difficult, hard place where there's nothing but demons around you and hard times and difficulty and you're hungry, you're weak, you're tired, you're broken, you don't have anything, everybody's abandoning you, you're by yourself, you're alone, you're isolated, you're going to think, you know, God, the enemy's just tearing my part, life apart right now. He goes, no, that's me. Be- why? Because in the wilderness you lose what's going to threaten the promise he gave There's only one place to lose something of yourself, and that's in a wilderness-type experience. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit just so I can give you context, but we'll return to it. But you understand how, how jo- uh, Joseph and Moses had a promise from God, and David. All of them had certain promises from God, and they had to undergo certain things that were very difficult. What did they lose? They lost the thing inside of them that threatened the promise in the first place. The wilderness doesn't teach you anything. It removes something from you. You don't learn anything in the wilderness. You just lose the part of you that's going to threaten the promise of God. You lose the itch, the human itch, the Adamic nature to meddle with God's plans. See, Moses had an idea of how he thought things were supposed to be, and he screwed it up. What, he, what happened? He went to the wilderness for 40 years, and he lost that meddling factor of the Adamic nature, and he's like, this time, like, you, you do whatever you want. I'm not messing with it anymore. That's the difference between maturity and immaturity. Christians in immaturity have a lot of zeal, and they go approach the promise of God, and they think they get a call of God in their life, and they get into it, and they screw it all up. Whereas a mature person gets the call of the Lord, and they just sit there. And the young people are like, why aren't you moving? I've learned not to. You go ahead. I'm going to wait on him. But he gave us a promise. Yeah, but it takes him to fulfill it too. I have so many young people that come to me all the time like, oh, God's given me a ministry of evangelism. I'll see you in a couple years. Does that mean we shouldn't preach? No, I'm just saying that there's times in your life where your zeal gets ahead of, of your character and then you ruin everything. And God's point is not to make your life good, it's to make you revealing Jesus. Does this make sense to you? So in other words, your inter-period seasonal issues, your your transition between seasons is some of the most difficult times you're ever going to go through because Jesus was transitioning out of one season and into another. Israel was transitioning out of one season and into another. But this was the most violent time that that, that either had ever experienced. This is the time when you take on the enemy. This is the time when you take on certain things in your life and in your mind that have been left unchallenged for generations and eons. How many of you guys know in the natural realm that seasons um, are good, but the time in between seasons are the most violent times on the planet? You with me? You know, everybody starts getting, you know, garden itch, itch in spring, but they, you know, and they're like, but you try to plant, and then what happens? And all of a sudden, the hail kills it, and the flooding kills it, and the cold kills it, and everybody's like, oh, man. You know, we get tight, we, get, we, we want to we go, we know the season's changing, we, and we want to get out there, we want to do something, you know, and then they, but then all of a sudden, it just gets killed, and then we blame God. Because it takes time to actually go through the distance between spring and summer. And when we don't understand that, we get ahead of God, and then when it dies, we blame him for it. Have you ever had that happen? You get ahead of the Lord in something? It's just me, I guess. Y'all are all way too spiritual. I'm going to have to find a different congregation to preach to. So this was Jesus led up the Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. If you follow God, you're going to encounter giants. 
Why are we surprised when we get there and see them? I don't know, but we always are. Giants in your marriage, giants in your finances, giants in your ministry, giants in your job. And we're just like, God, if you can just take these giants away, that's not, he's like, that's not why I exist. See, God's not a giant killer. You are. God doesn't kill giants. He beat the biggest one out of all of them, so that way you could take care of the rest. Your job is to destroy those things, but you have to be prepared before you're going to be able to be there. And this is why so many people chalk up certain things in their life to be such failures is because they got ahead of God and they tried to go do the thing God told them to do without the maturity to back it. That's why so many ministers and pastors fail because they receive the call, they don't receive the training, and I'm not talking about seminary, I'm talking about the spiritual training of what it takes to, to follow God in that capacity and they don't wait on him and they get destroyed. Being a pastor is the hardest thing I've ever done. Everybody's always shooting at you. Don't matter if they're for you or against it. They're, they're always, so you guys get, up, get to get up here and critique me for free. But if I critique you, then I'm offensive. Oops. Why isn't it offensive when you do it to me? I don't know, but somehow it's not. You see what I'm saying? When you get, in, when you get into calling of the Lord, you deal with people, they're going to crucify you. Ask me how I know that. It takes the Lord to love people when they're killing you. And if you can't love people when you're killing you, you have a weak love. Jesus said, love your enemies. My ability to turn the other cheek is the revelation of my love of God. You're... Our inability to turn the other cheek is our revelation that we have never encountered his love. We may have experienced it, but there's a difference between an experience and an encounter. An encounter changes you. An experience doesn't. Okay. Listen, verse, verse 2. And when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The wilderness is going to lead you in a place of weakness. Uncertainty. You're going to run to your pastor and go, I just don't feel it, man. I, I, I'm so weak. I don't know what. And if he's a good, smart man, he's going to say, everything's just fine. You're okay. Nothing wrong. Well, then why do I feel? Because you're in between seasons. And if you don't do this right, you're going to stay where you were. And the, the weird part about it is, is the human side of us wants to be where we were. The God part of us wants to be where he's taken us. And then we're confused. Because the Adamic nature doesn't want to move. And then when you're in the Adamic nature, you're not satisfied. You want praying for more of God, praying for more of God, but you don't want to change. And then God starts answering your prayer, and then you feel like you're schizophrenic. So then you go get on medication for something that you created in your own mind. See, we're not used to letting go. You understand to have one... One type of revelation of Jesus, you have to let that go to have the next one. But see, when you like the revelation of Jesus that you think you've had, that impresses everybody, and you have to let that one go, it's scary because you no longer are able to manipulate people with the former revelation because you don't even know where you're at. You've got to move to where he's taking you. And you look at John the Revelator, right? the guy who wrote Revelation. He walked with Jesus for 60 years. 
right? He was the one, right? The one. Established churches, healed sicknesses, raised the dead, cast out devils. Powerful man. I mean, they threw him off a building trying to kill him. When that didn't work, they boiled him in oil. And when that didn't work, they shipped him off to an exiled island. And then what happened? He, I mean, you're talking about the, the one who laid his head on Jesus' chest, the one that we say we want to be like. And then he gets in a different element. And what happens? God takes him higher. He sees Jesus like he's never had before, and he falls at his feet as though he's, he was dead. I mean, he, he should have been like, oh, hey, Jesus, what's up, man? Long time no see. It's been awesome. I mean, I've been doing all this stuff for you. That's not what happened. As soon as he saw a new revealed part of God, he just fell on his face. And everything he thought he knew about Jesus before completely washed away. And this man standing before him was a brand new figure of God he'd never seen. He was like, I'm so in love. But he had to lose the former idea of who Jesus was, to be able to gain what Jesus really is. And there's times in your life where you've established ideas of who you think Jesus is, and it's keeping you from the Jesus he wants you to see. It's not that what you had was bad. It's that what you need is better. You say, I don't know if I believe that. Well, here's the thing. How many of you guys knew God as a forgiver before you knew him as a healer? How many of you knew him as a healer before you knew him as a restorer? Yeah? How many of you guys knew him as, you know, um, a dictator before you knew him as a father? See, our, our idea of God changes because he's leading us from one place to the next. And if we're not willing to let go of our idea of who he is, in, in, then we're going to be really frustrated. I'm just teaching you this morning. I'm sorry if I'm not as dynamic as what you want me to be, but I'm not here to please you. I'm here to please him, you know? I'm... I'm I don't care about opinions. I'm too old <laughs> to care anymore. Um, so the leading of the Spirit leads you to a severe testing. Oh, it always does. And then people sit in my office and they wonder why they're being tested. It's like you prayed to be led by the Spirit. But I don't. I didn't think it was going to be this way. Well, how'd you? What do you think it was going to be like? Like this big party, and all of a sudden you're this person who just you know waves their hand and the thousands of people fall out under the glory. Do you know what it takes to get there? You mean deaths you have to die and, 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 to, to get to that point? Do you know how offendable you need to be? You, know how, you, you, have to, you understand how, how unmoved you need to be able to be in, to be in that position. Amen. And, and like Abe said in the endearing announcements, if, if, if getting called a name offends you, you've got a long way to go. There's so many people in this town that call us a cult. It doesn't even phase me anymore. I'm like, yeah, you know, if, if this is a cult, then I want to be a part of it. That's fine. Bring it on. <laughs> the testing is to determine whether the next season is available for you or not. Do you realize you keep yourself from where you want to be more than the enemy ever does? So when it's time for you to grow, here's exactly what happens. God begins to take from you something that was familiar to you. And you begin to kick and scream like a baby, just like me. And we don't know what's happening. And then we go through this very difficult time in between. And God is using and letting the devil kick our rear ends to see how we're going to respond, to see if we're worthy of the next season he's taking us to. 
How we respond in between seasons determines of whether he takes us to the next one or not. This is why people don't grow. Ask the children of Israel. Nine-day journey took 40 years. Why? Because they weren't ready for the land and the promise that he gave them. The promise was real. They were not. Does it make sense? If Jesus would have failed here between verse 1 and verse 2, it would have been over for us. How he, per- he performed here in the wilderness determined whether his new season would be able to come forward. And do you realize what happened? He gets out of this season. This season he, come, he beats the devil. and I'm, We're going to go through it here in a second. But he beats the devil. He gets out of this season. It says, then he, he, he came out of the spirit endued with power, or in the wilderness endued with power. See, we want the power without the purging. That's what we want. If you actually ever meet a man or a woman full of the anointing and the Holy Spirit of God, full of power, you're looking at people who have died a million deaths and stayed when everybody else ran. You with me? I I just challenge you to be faithful to something other than yourself. When's the last time you've actually stayed faithful to a church more than five years? You think that's a long time. It's not a long time. I mean, five years is just basically getting through the awkward stage of getting established so you can begin to launch out and actually begin to do something. If you don't stay long enough to help and to be challenged and to get graded on by people and get hurt, and, and, and you know, as soon as everybody gets hurt, they want to leave. Well, do you realize you're not the only one that was probably hurt in that scenario? You know what what I found out over the years is that when when someone says the pastor hurt me, that person hurt the pastor probably a hundred times before that pastor ever hurt them, most of the time. I'm not talking about somebody who does something completely stupid and immoral and, and breaks the church. That's demonic. You understand what I mean? We have to stay faithful because it, in staying faithful and staying planted, we, we endure seasons. When I first moved here in 99, I got treated absolutely horribly by almost every church that I, that I encountered here in this town. I mean, every one of them treated me absolutely terrible. The leaders, the pastors. Most of them, not all of them. And I was like, where did I, where did I move to? I, I, I was shocked. I didn't understand. But you know what, guys? I stayed long enough that every enemy I had is now gone. They quit. I didn't. They're all gone. They're not in this town. They're nowhere around. They left. And I'm still here. Because I've endured seasons in my life, and I've stayed faithful to what God's called me to do. Does it mean it's awesome and powerful and magnificent? No, it's hard. It's difficult. It's weird. Sometimes we get called names and all that kinds of stuff, and it's just like, whatever, we're going to keep moving on. You have to stay long enough to be able to be effective in somebody's life because it's not about you. It's about the person sitting next to you. And if you're not willing to pour yourself out for them, then you're selfish. If your Christianity is about you, then you got the wrong gospel preached to you. And I don't know who, who told you that, but it wasn't me. And I apologize for them, but now it's time for you to take your own responsibility. See, the time between seasons are the most violent times that we're ever going to go through in our life. We've got to lose something to gain something. Every time you grow, 
Every time God moves you into something else, he's going to require you to let go of an old mindset, an old emotion, an old way of thinking, an old way of acting, an old way of operating. When God moves you out of something old, follow me, and into something new, follow me, the first response for you is to run back to what you were familiar with. First response. Because it's uncomfortable being in the middle. And you don't know what God's going to do, and you don't know how he's going to use you, and you don't know what's going to happen, and you don't know what's going on, and you don't, you don't know. But I promise you this, you will exit that season with less of you than you had before you went in if you do it the right way. And that's his goal. See, the, you understand the Adamic nature, the nature of Adam that, was, that came from uh, him, the, the flesh we're trying to crucify. The Adamic nature cannot wait on God. It's impossible. Impossible. This is why he puts us in seasons of waiting, in, in, in between seasons, because the waiting kills the Adamic nature. The waiting is the death. Every time a, a, a man in the Bible tried to step beyond the plan of God before it was time, he created something that was wrong. Just ask Saul. Just ask Abraham. You with me? Just because you have a promise doesn't mean you're ready for the full manifestation. Just because God's given you a ministry doesn't mean you're ready to actually be accountable for people's lives. I'm all for more ministries being birthed and and started, but I'm all for more people living like Jesus before they do so. So the three temptations were not only in reality to the identity of who we are and who Christ is, but it's also to, uh, it was also a, a temptation to immediately satisfy self with the fruit of the next season without God actually giving it. So, so you have Jesus coming here, right? And he's, he's, he's hungry and he's tired, and, and, then, and then the demon says this, turn this stones to bread. In other words, change your season. Eat before it's time. Perform miracles before... Abba asks you to. And guess what? He had the power to do it, didn't he? Just because you have the power to do something doesn't mean you should. I know a lot of people who can tell the truth, but there's certain times where they just need to keep their mouth shut, but they don't. Because they haven't learned that just because you know the truth doesn't mean the people who are in front of you are ready for it. There's so many times I've been in conversations where I knew I had the exact perfect answer to shut this person's mouth, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, don't do it. So I just grin and nod and walk away. You understand? Not everybody can handle what God's given you. Sometimes you can barely handle it. So turn this into bread. Do something. See, God gives you the power before he gives you the the release to use it. And as soon as we get the power, we want to go out and just touch everybody on the forehead with it. And he's just like, wait a minute. Why don't you wait? Wait on me. Wait on me for power. And then wait on me for for the ability to use it. You with me? So we've got to to begin to define these, these... in between seasons that God's taking us in, whether it be, it's not geographical all the time, guys. It's not, it's, 
it could be financial, it could be marital, it could be spiritual, it could be emotional, it could be mental. When God transfers different thought processes into one to the other, or different emotions, letting one go to be able to come into a different uh, capacity to feel, it could be a lot of different things. Even just reading the Word of God, we could go into different seasons of how we read the Word of the Lord. There's certain things that have to happen to be able to get from one to the other. It's not always just geography. Um, there's, there's so many things that we do to screw everything up and everything else that we, like I said earlier, we were carrying so many burdens that we put on ourselves that God didn't put on us. And so the next one, he's like, you know, give your angels charge, you know, jump off this, this thing and prove that you're the son of God. Use the power of your angelic hosts and your army before the time frame in which God wants you to use it. I mean, if, if, if God came to you and said, you have the power to summon, summon 12 legions of angels at your will at any time, whenever you want, tell me you wouldn't use that right away. I would. And then I'd have to learn a hard lesson. You with me? To be able to be in a situation where you know you have the authority to deliver yourself but not doing it, that's the, that's the epicenter of what the cross is. See, we think crosses are things that, that we, God puts us in that we just can't escape. No, no, a, cross, a true cross, you will always be able to exit it at any point on your own. But you staying in it proves your love for where he's taking you in your life. You know how many people I've watched exit their season, exit their cross just because it got too hard? We think crosses are like inescapable. No, Jesus had the ability. He said, don't you know I can call 12 legions of angels right now and everything would all stop? It would all stop. See, God has given us power to exit our season if we want to because he wants to see if we're going to stay where he's placed us. Because if you stay there, then he's going to empower you for the promise that he's given you. But if you don't, then he's going to keep you where you are, and then you're going to wonder, why, why am I still here? Why am I still here? I have people come to me all the time and save 20, 25, 30 years, and they're like, why am I still here? Why am I still dealing with this? Why, am I still, why hasn't this changed in my life? It's because you haven't exited the old season. You want growth. You want power. You want authority, but you don't want to suffer. You don't want to lose the part of you that's going to threaten the promise that God gives. Because the Adamic nature, if he holds the promises of God, he destroys the promises of God. Do you realize that Jesus spent 30 years to prepare for ministry, for three and a half years of ministry? 30 years of preparation. 30 years of being ready for the promise. Don't tell me he couldn't heal the sick and raise the dead at 12. He could have. Having the power of God and not using it to, for your own benefit is one of the greatest temptations that a mature believer will ever, will ever come into We just think if they have the power, we just blow it on everybody. Now, Paul told Timothy, you commit these things to faithful men. In other words, you don't, you don't tell anybody what I'm telling you unless they first prove themselves faithful to you first. See, we go to, into a church and we, we look at the church like the church is on trial. You know, like, you know, well, I'm going to come in here and just mm, see if I agree. And if this place is good enough, I'll join. Well, a true church will look at you the same way and go, you know, we're, we're testing you too. And if, if you don't lean up, to where we think you're not, you can come, but you're not going to join. I've actually had the people tell people who wanted to come join this church. And, and I just, well, I was like, everybody, no, we, we don't feel it. Like you, some, you need to go, there's something else in your life you need to go do. We love you. You can come visit, but 
this is not a fit. That's hard, isn't it? Well, as a pastor, you're supposed to fill the pews. No, I'm supposed to glorify Jesus. If he fills the pews, fine. If he doesn't, I'll preach to two. I've done it before. See, open doors aren't assigned to a true believer. I'm going to challenge your theology. Open doors are not assigned to a true believer. In these three temptations, the devil gave Jesus three open doors. Factual, reality, door opening. The last one being the biggest. I'll give you all these people you came to save without the cross because they are mine to give. I got an open door. How many of you guys know the devil can open doors? How many know human nature can open doors? Manipulation can open doors. Just because an open door comes, it's like, well, it's the Lord. I've had so many people come to me, and I knew it wasn't the Lord. But like, oh, I've got an open door, and I'm like, oh no, oh geez, okay, all right, go ahead. You know, because you can't tell them. Some people come to me like, God said, God told me, and I know he didn't. It was their own head, and, I, and, and I've submitted to the body, and I, I ask other people who I trust, and I'm like, hey, this person said this. Do you think that that's the Lord? And they look at me like, what are you, are you kidding me? I'm like, okay, it's not just me? No, uh, it's not the, that's not God. You know, and I ask somebody else that I trust, hey, you know, in the body, hey, no. And, they, and then, but, that, oh, no, I heard the Lord. And it's like, well, I'm going to fight you on it just because I've learned that if you tell somebody that what they heard isn't God, many, many times they don't ever come back. <laughs> See, waiting on the Lord to bring what he spoke to happen, it's got to happen just as much as waiting to hear him. Waiting on the delivery, waiting on him perfecting us. Um, temptation is fabrication and submission to doubt. When we get tempted, we're trying to fabricate something and make something happen. The devil tempts us based upon what God has said, what God has done. Right? If you, I don't have time to go back into it, but if you look in the verses back in, in, in Matthew 3, the voice comes from the heaven and says, this is my beloved son in whom you're well, in well pleased. The voice of God tells Jesus, you're my son. Right? The, second t- the first time the devil talks to Jesus, he says, if you're God's son. So the promise was given, but then the doubt comes about the word of the promise. Right? And then when the doubt comes, then there's the temptation to accomplish the promise without the father. Why? Because you do have the power to do it. See, we think we're powerless in the wilderness. No, the reason the wilderness is so hard is because you can escape it. You just choose not to. Because you know why you're there. Why are you there? For others. Because it was Jesus' hunger in the wilderness that gave him the authority to feed the multitudes. If he would have fed himself, then he wouldn't have the authority to be able to conquer starvation in someone else. Sometimes God takes you through hard things in a difficult place in the middle of something that's going on, not because he's trying to be sadistic and take you through something hard. It's because you're about to meet somebody who's going to need you owning that authority that that wilderness offers you. And they need you to beat that season and not run from it like most Christians do. Why can't the, why can't the, 
testimony or the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the iconic feature of the church be faithfulness instead of offense. Because you know what the world knows? That we're just offended people. If, if any heathen has a few Christian Facebook friends, they're going to eventually figure out that we're just really offended people and we don't stay long. You know, you, you and I offend God all the time. You realize that? Like everything you think you know is probably a, a blatant offense in the face of Father, but it doesn't stop him from walking with you and loving you and being Emmanuel to you. <laughs> That's what blows me away about him because I know I offend him. I know the way I, I, I act and think sometimes. It's just like I know it's an offense t- to him. But the fact that he's still with me, it's like, okay. And then somebody in the church, well, they offended me. I was like, it's all the more reason to walk with them. Well, why? Because you'll be made better. It'll be awesome. Trust me. It's just going to be okay. See, in Job 12, 22, it says that God discovers deep things out of darkness and brings out to light the shadow of death. It's darkness, it's the dark, it's the dark seasons that bring the mysteries of God to light. So you want to know the mysteries of the Lord? Get baptized in the darkness. Why? Because he says here, he says that he discovers deep things out of darkness. The mysteries of God are revealed through the wilderness. Moses learned how to lead people by being away from them. Why? Because in the leading of people is the losing of yourself. The greatest leaders are the ones who have very little of themselves there because they sacrifice it. And they're not seeking position or superstar Christianity like this, I don't know what you call it, this uh, Hollywood pastor type thing. Go to Colossians chapter 1. I want to show you this. It says, To whom God would make known the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul's writing here to Colossians, and he says that God would make known, it's the Father's will and desire to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery. The riches of the glory of this mystery. That God wants to make known the riches of the glory of this mystery. What mystery? That Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Why do I say that? Because when you're going through these hard seasons, it's not about getting through the season. It's about Christ in you through the season. See, our goal is always to grow and be morally more this or that or whatever, be able to be more comfortable in our skin, look in the mirror. But that's not God's goal for you and I. His goal for you and I is... Him in us, the hope of glory. That's the mystery. The wilderness just facilitates that goal. So when you understand that the wilderness is there so that him inside of you can be manifest in a very difficult, dark situation, you know that you're accomplishing your purpose right where you're at and you don't have the itch to leave. Because how else is Jesus going to be shown in the midst of darkness unless he's shown in darkness in you? If everybody leaves a difficult situation, where's the light going to go? but we're more preferential about how we feel about what happened than what God has placed us in. 
See, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. The goal is not seasonal transformation. The goal is not you from getting from one season to the other. It's, it's to fulfill the release of Christ in us, the hope of glory for every season that we endure. This is why we can endure season after season after season, because the goal is him in us. That's the point. He is our prize, not going from season to season to glory to glory. That's a byproduct of having him in us. And there's so many times in seasons we get very, very down and hard on ourselves because we feel like we're away from the Lord. Let me tell you something. Even when you're away from him, he's right next to you. So what are you going to look at? How far you are away from him or how close he actually is to you? Which one is going to control your vision? Because that's going to control your relationship. And if you continually see him as you being far from him, then you're going to perceive it that way, believe it that way, and then the reality is going to be that way, and then you're going to feel like he is that way. And then you're going to spend your entire relationship with Jesus trying to get closer to him when he's already right next to you. See, the goal of Christianity is not about what you aren't and what you won't be. It's about what he is and what he always will be. Which means, at any point, at any time, the burdens fall off, everything gets really easy because you realize the whole point is him being with us, not as much as us being with him. He said, make us one. He said, I will always be with you. He didn't say, you will always be with me. He said, I will always be with you. Whose responsibility is it to be with who? It's his responsibility to be with us. It's our responsibility to, be, to obey him who is with us. And if he says, stop and wait, hang out here just for a minute, everything inside of you is going to squirm and itch and crawl, and it begins to die. I'm just curious, has anybody ever, has anybody ever mastered the art of taming your tongue just by not speaking? Anybody ever done that? I mean, I may not be perfect, but I've done a pretty good job compared to where I was. But here's the thing. How I started doing it is like every time I just want to say something, I would force myself not to say it. And everything inside of me would just go, you know, I just, and I'd feel this all through me, man. Just, it was horrible. And then I just, you know, and, and then, you know, for like 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes, an hour, two hours later, I'm like, I should have said this, I can say that, you know, and it's just, you know, you just go, go, go. But then after a while, if you keep, if you stop and don't talk, then what happens over time is that you begin to actually not care anymore. You're just like, eh. See, we think it's super spiritual, like to tame your tongue. No, it's not super spiritual to tame your tongue. You just swallow it and don't speak. Until you learn that that's the way you get through things. And then all of a sudden, after you learn that stuff, you begin to feel differently. Why is that important? Because when we learn how to navigate these seasons, what we're doing is letting the flesh die. We're embracing the cross and following him. It's not his job to make you hold your cross. We think it is, though. And then when we finally get on a cross, we think it's like inescapable. No, you can get off and you can run. You know, I've seen so many people over my life where God's positioned them perfectly to die and they just run. And they think they're being spiritual, following the Spirit. But no, the Spirit leads you to death. If you're running from death, you're following the demon, calling it the Holy Ghost, which is no wonder you're confused.
Anything that removes more of you and reveals more of him is the Lord. I don't care how hard it is. I don't care what you hear in your head. There's certain times where I feel like maybe the Lord's saying something to my brain, but I also know that the principles of what it's actually saying is completely against what Jesus lived in the flesh, and so I know it's not the Lord. Because he is the testimony of what it means to be a son and person of God, how he lived. That's why he came here, not to speak, but to live. Right? All right. So we, 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 we can't make this journey about what we're not. we got to make it about who he is. You with me on that? So I don't have time. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you can go read that. It's probably the best chapter on spiritual warfare. We think spiritual warfare is jumping and shouting and snotting and telling demons to leave. Listen, you're not going to tell any demon to leave that you're currently submitting to. Just because you put at the name of Jesus at the end of it doesn't mean they have to obey. If you're submitting to the demon you're telling to leave in your mind and your heart and you're not submitted to the king, they know that you're just spouting things off and they're going to be like, Jesus I know, Paul I know. Who are you? If you're submitting to unbelief and doubt and rebellion and disobedience in certain areas of your life and then you want to go tell those things to leave somebody else's, it's not going to happen. You know what the greatest form of spiritual warfare is? Mind control. The ability to take thoughts captive because the demon operates through your head. Every temptation Jesus went through, he had to think about it first. Every one of them. 90% of spiritual warfare is in your mind. Temptation in that interseasonal place, that testing always comes to the mind. If your mind's not renewed before you get to a place that is in between seasons, then you're probably going to end up failing in between that season. Your responsibility in your seasons are your renewal of the mind. And when you are renewing your mind in those seasons, then you're preparing your mind for those difficult mind-bending seasons that are in between. Does this make sense? Somewhere Jesus figured out, no, I have to suffer and die. So everything that caused him to, to have an opportunity not to suffer and die, it was simple. He knew it wasn't the will of God. You with me? Because there's certain principles of the word of God that he speaks in your life that will guide you through every season, and you've got to remember those things because the mind's going to go absolutely whack in those seasons. You're here to die, son. Don't forget that. You're here to die. An opportunity to save his life would come. He knows it's not an open door, even though it was an open door. You follow me? Jesus had a lot of open doors that he didn't take because they were from the devil. We give power to what we believe. Waiting on God is never wasted time. Never. 40 days seems like a long time to wait. But 40 years is longer. It's faster to do it God's way. It may seem slow. It may seem hard. It may seem like it's never going to change. But if you're walking with him and you're walking through this with him and you're keeping your mind straight and you're following this path of Messiah Jesus, and no matter how hard it is, no matter how hard it hurts, no matter how much it's tough to stay, and you do that, then 40 days is always shorter than 40 years. It's faster to walk with Jesus, even though it seems so slow sometimes. 
It's even a, a principle in discipleship. Do you realize you can get the whole world saved faster by discipling one person a year than you can from a mass evangelism? The multiplication factor begins to compound itself over a certain point, and then at some point, the whole world gets saved in less than 30 years. It seems slower in the beginning, but over time, it actually works faster, and that's the way Jesus works. The devil wants an immediate shot, immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification, immediate problem fix. You guys realize that some, sometimes God doesn't take problems and let them go away just because of how it make, affects you. He keeps the problem there because you're responding in a way that he needs to fix. And as long as you keep responding that way, he's going to keep the problem there. Bad marriages. It's like somebody's responding this way constantly. Well, why won't my marriage ever change? Probably because you respond the same way every time. But I can't. No, you can. You just choose not to. It's just hard when they push that button. If you would just be like Jesus, because you can, because he knows he has given you the power and the authority to do it, you can do it. You can be like him. He gave you everything you needed. You don't have an inability. You don't have a deficit. You're not waiting on anything other than him to change your season. He's not going to do it until you use the power he's given you to stay where you're at, not fight where you're at. <sighs> I know it's not good preaching, but we create our own chaos. Jesus following God for 40 days is so much better than what the Israelites did. You guys understand you need, you need joy during your transformation. When you're transferring seasons, you need joy. It's hard, isn't it? Anybody ever been through a hard time where God's transitioning from one to the other and you have no joy? Do you know why you don't have any joy? Let me tell you why. Because you've lost sight of love. Bottom line. You've lost sight of the purpose of the season. You've lost sight of love of God. You've lost sight of love of another. You've lost sight of, sight of love. If you lose sight of love, you lose sight of joy. Why? Because it's love, joy, peace. You can't have joy without love. If you miss the love, the joy and peace and all the other stuff, it doesn't come. You either fail to believe you are loved by God, which is why you think you're in that situation and he just doesn't care about you, and you've lost sight of love, therefore you lost your joy, or you've come to a point where you uh, don't love others, which means you're stealing your own joy from yourself. Stop robbing from yourself. If you don't love others, you're stealing your own joy. That's good preaching, Chad. I mean, you should you just keep going. I don't know. Maybe I should quit. All right, you guys follow me here. I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help you get through what you're going through. I don't care whether you like me or not. I, I'm trying to help you. I, I want you to succeed in the Lord. In Psalm 4610, you guys all know it. You probably have a refrigerator magnet somewhere on your... In your house, be still and know that I'm gone. Right? So it's real simple. Ready for this major revelation? He's God, not us. What makes you think, what makes me think, we can add to the circumstance and make it better or faster? Don't you understand he has everything under control and he doesn't need you meddling in his business. He just needs you to obey when he tells you to obey and wait when he tells you to wait. And if you're suffering, it's season time to wait. And if you're moving forward, it's time to move forward. But I'll tell you this, when God moves you forward, no one's going to stop it. You don't even need open doors. They will just bust open if they're supposed to. You don't have to wait on them. 
I waited for years for my wife until I finally gave up getting married. And I was like, okay, I'm married to the gospel now. I'm good. And I started going. And I didn't care anymore. And then all of a sudden, she's staring me in the face. I'm like, why are you here? <laughs> like, I'm done with you. I don't even know you. And I gave you up a long time ago. I don't need you. And then I got mad at God, you know. Like, I, I get through all this stuff, and I don't even want it anymore. And then now you're going to bring it. When, when God wants something to happen, you are not going to stop it. That's why we have a good marriage, because neither one of us care. <laughs> we care about him more than we care about each other, which makes us care about each other really well. Because when it gets hard, she's going to smack me around and tell me to get in line with Jesus in the same way the other way around. And I may not like it, and she may not like it, but we all know at the end of it, she loves Jesus more than me, so I better watch out. When God does something, he does it well, and you can't stop it. Why are you trying to open every freaking door to get out of where God has you? Stay where you're at and let it change. I mean, some of you guys, I'm not trying to say this. I just want to show you some testimony, right? You guys know who David Hogan is, right? I know him very well. He knows me very well. I've got his personal phone number. I've got an open invitation to his house. At any time, I can knock on his door. He knows exactly who I am. Come in, stay. He's given me open access to his life. That he won't give to everybody. You try to do that, you show up on his doorstep and say, can I slay in your house? He's going to tell you no. I guarantee it. I show up, knock on that door, I get an open invitation in. Come on in. What's going on? World-renowned guy. I was supposed to travel with him right in 19, preaching. But COVID hit. You know how that got started? I heard about him in 2001. And I just said in my heart, Lord, I'd like to meet that guy, but I'm not going to push that door. And if you want it to happen, it's just a thought. It wasn't a prayer. It wasn't something I fasted and prayed over. Nothing happened for a long time. And then about six years later, I met Chico, and I realized he worked with him. And about three or four years after that, I never asked him to come down. I never asked once to go down there. He calls me up one day and says, hey, you want to come down here? Meet Brother David and hang out. I said, yeah. Yeah, I'll come. Came down there. Met him. Called me every name in the book. Tried to offend me every time he could. I just kind of chuckled because I don't bow to men. I don't care about men. I just recognize the anointing of the Lord. and I want more of it. I don't care who it's in. and I don't care what you got to say to me to run me off. You ain't going to get rid of me. You know, I've never left a church in my life. Every church I ever left, the pastor had to force me to go. It's a good testimony. You should get it. And now I can walk up to him at any point, any time, because I've got access, and I stayed, and I stayed faithful, and I let God open those doors, and he just made it happen. And I've been down with him several times, a bunch of times I've had him here, a bunch of times he's a good friend of mine. You know, I'm just saying that if you let God do what God wants to do, he'll do it. And some of you may not even like him. Well, that's fine. I'm just use your testimony the other way. Figure out what you do like and what you do want, what God is doing for you, what God is saying, what, you, what is in your heart, and let him bring it to pass. And understand that when it gets difficult, those difficult times are his preparing you for the promise that he gave. God doesn't pay right away. When Jesus gave his body and his blood to his disciples, 
He gave a part of himself to them so that they would have the strength to endure the moment season he had, they had without him being around. What I'm trying to say is that when God gives you a good blessing and you got this great church service or great anointing or great something that lands on you or a great move at the altar, you know what it is? It's Jesus sharing his life with you because you're going to need the strength of that meat to go in the next season he's given you. Because there's going to be times where it's going to feel like he's not there. And I have people come to me all the time, like, man, I used to have such a great time with the Lord, and the anointing was there, and I would always walk into my prayer closet, and Jesus was there. Now when I go, I feel nothing. It's like, yeah, it's awesome. You're in a good spot. Like, why? What do you, why do you, how do you say that's a good spot? Because he's taking you from a baby who's dependent upon a pacifier to a woman of God who's ready for her groom. But I don't like it. Well, yeah, growing up's hard for me, too. But if I have to do it, don't expect sympathy from me. I'll give you compassion, but not sympathy. All right? Waiting is the death. If we receive the vision and don't receive the training, then we're going to destroy the vision. The training comes in the wilderness. It's not that we learn something there. It's that we lose something there. There's something about prison, the wilderness, that removes us, something from us that would have destroyed the plan of God. Trust is birthed where the Adamic nature is crucified. You'll be able to trust the Lord in those seasons in your life that's difficult the more you get rid of this thing. Trust is birthed where the Adamic is crucified. When you get rid of this, you don't care anymore about where God has you. I was... I'm going to close with this, but I was 18 years old. I had received, I mean, I'd always had a little, a degree of anointing on my life. I was eight years old trying to practice being a preacher, lining my stuffed animals up in my room. I always wanted to be something for the Lord. Never had any friends my whole life. Never, ever, ever. I always had to fight, scratch, and claw for any type of relationship I had, and it was always superficial. Why? Because the Lord was always reserving me for him. I didn't understand that. But I was 18 years old. I'd received a, a, an anointing on my life. I mean, I'd fasted and prayed more before I was 18 than most pastors do in their entire life. I'd already done a 40-day fast by then. The first time I preached, I, I quit eating for five days at 15. Never fasted before. Just didn't eat for five days because I knew the word of the Lord was important. And I knew that in, it, if it was going to be in my mouth, I needed to be sanctified because I knew I didn't trust who I was. God moved, God moved. I mean, God would always move and just, I mean, the first message I ever preached was absolutely horrible. But do you know what happened? All the youth in the church literally jumped over the pews to get to the altar. Completely overwhelmed the youth minister. She didn't even know what to do. We were in one of those churches. I didn't know what to do because it wasn't a good sermon. But the Holy Spirit fell in the room with power and glory. I started having these signs and wonders and healings and all this stuff follow my life at a young person. People were like, man, they started, I mean, in the church I was in, all the adults wanted to start coming to the youth services because I was a youth pastor because was, God was moving more in the youth services than he was in the, in the adult services. And I thought, man, I'm getting powerful, I'm getting strong. And I go to this conference one time and this old black lady, she's a prophet, she looked at me and she said, you're a maverick stallion. And you're pawing at the ground. And you're tearing things up. And you're strong. 
And she said, but when a king goes to battle, he doesn't want a strong horse. He wants an obedient one. Oh, so mad at her. I thought, she's false prophet. But I knew she wasn't. And so now when I describe myself as a broke old mule sitting in a stall chewing his cud, just sitting there going, whatever you want to do. You want to kill me? Have at it. You want to use me? Just give me grace. Because I realize people are not changed through zeal. No one's changed because you get a ministry. They're changed because you can actually personify the king in their midst. Having something to do for Jesus is never as important as being with him, no matter what you're doing. You could stand. I really hope, I really hope, I don't feel like I did a good job, but I really hope I gave you an understanding of what it means to walk through this time frame between God's trying to change one thing inside of you and into the next. Because it can be a very confusing time. And I'll tell you this, guys, you will need people around you when that happens. Because sometimes before you've renewed your mind, your mind goes absolutely nuts. Don't be afraid of that. Don't be afraid of opening up. Don't be afraid of being vulnerable. Don't be afraid of finding somebody you can sit with soon and say, I, f- I feel like I'm crazy. Find somebody who's walked that trail and they're going to look at you and go, you're doing just fine. And, and you're going to say, but it doesn't feel like it. And then that person's going to tell you, it's because you lived your entire life on feelings and now God wants you to be more familiar with faith. But you're Okay. Suffer, stay, and I promise you, God will change something and people will look at you and they'll go, what happened to you? I used to know you as this, this, and this, and now I don't even know who you are anymore. And you're going to have to say, welcome to the new me. And people get scared when they can't manipulate you anymore. That's why everybody calls me a cult, because they can't move me many have tried. I'm the kind of guy that I will die. You'll kill me before I step off of where I, where, I'm, where I know God said to stand. And I'm good with that too. It's not arrogance. It's just I know that if I get outside of his will, I am lost for forever because I've been there. I have been there, and it's terrible. The safest place for me to be is where he is. And if it's, if it's suffering, then that's the, that's the most glorious part of Jesus I could ever experience is right there. And if I move, I miss my glory. I miss my moment. And if you move, you're going to miss it too. And if you move, he's going to take you a, the same amount of time frame it took you to get to that same point again before you want to leave again. And you've wasted two years because it takes another two years to get you back to that point of, of crushing where you want to leave again. So stay. It's faster if you just stay. Father, thank you for your people. They're such blessings, and they, they hold such power, and they hold such glory, and they, they hold such uh, amazing things inside of them. And, and, and there's people in this room that have things inside of them that they don't even realize are there, and they're, 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 they're world-wrecking uh, anointings. Just so much power even in this small little room. 
But you're not interested in power because you have a lot of it. You're interested in Christ in them. The hope of glory, the hope of your glory in their circumstance so that they can be made more like your son so that others might come to know you. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you give them grace and the Holy Spirit, you would just enlighten their eyes of their understanding to know when you're calling them to suffer and when you're calling them to keep their mouth guarded and their heart guarded and to stay and to show Jesus in difficult circumstances. Teach them to navigate the seasons of life just like you did. Because you even rebuked your generation that they could discern the face of the sky, but they didn't understand the seasons and the times that they were in. You even said over Israel, you've missed the the season and the time of your visitation. So help us not miss that, Lord, that when you're with us and we're going through these hardships, that we have developed such a relationship with you and such a relationship with others that we can lean upon one another and stay, even though we have the power to to remove ourselves from the cross, that we would stay there because you stood there for us. And we're not looking for the next best thing. We're looking for you manifested where we are. So we bless you, Abba. We thank you. We need you in this. Not one person is able or uh, worthy but you are in us. So we lean on that. We bless you, Father. We thank you. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.